0: Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm meeting Porter de Leon. This episode is part of our CIO Unplug series, where Jason Conyard, VMware's CIO, has candid hallway-style conversations with other technology leaders about what's top of mind for him right now. In this episode, Jason speaks with Alex Toshev, the Chief Security Officer at VMware, about the relationship between the CIO and the CSO. The first voice you will hear will be
1: Jason's. As I was thinking about today's conversation and catching up, because you and I speak frequently, one of the things I was reflecting on was how many conversations I have with peers and they tell me how challenging, and I'll I'll put it politely, challenging the relationship can be, not always, but can be between a security function and a technology function. And that often they find themselves struggling to execute because of a lack of alignment around security or compliance controls and other things. And that not only makes it difficult to move the business forward, but it also creates an environment that doesn't feel great. And I hear folks talk about that. And then I reflect on the relationship that you and I have that, more importantly, probably our teams have. And I am both surprised and astonished. But I I guess I'm lucky. So why do you think that so many other leaders find themselves in that situation and what do you think is different? And do you think that there are things that we could suggest other than counseling?
0: (laughs) I'm so glad to be here to chat on this stuff. We talk constantly, which is good. I I think it's not this feeling of impact, I would just say, and maybe a sense of friction to processes that are not specifically like security It's not just limited to you know to technology functions. In security, we have the distinct pleasure of impacting all areas of the company. And by doing that, we have a serious responsibility to ensure that we have two halves to the same two pieces to this. The first piece is that, yeah, we are a governance function. We're a function that puts in controls. Those controls are designed to protect things. So in many ways, we're seen as something that just by definition, a function that stops certain things from happening. Now, we want to stop certain things from happening right that's part of the the job but at the same time and in the same breath i really feel strongly that we're an enabling function and i feel we're an enabling function first and foremost because the table stakes are incredibly high around cybersecurity and companies who don't you know raise the bar are going to feel impact they're going to feel business impact and and they're going to realize business risk so i think there's two halves to this story and i think I have been around security professionals who kind of come at things from a very pedantic, like check the box mentality, which is like, hey, we have to do our job. You need to help us do our job. And just can you just comply? Right. And so it's sort of the whole like the beatings will continue until morale improves. Right. (laughs) But that's the wrong mindset. And I've always felt this way. I felt that my background has been pretty varied. And I've had experience even like carrying quota, a point in my career where I have a much higher level of empathy as a leader in security, you have to develop that empathy to get people to understand the value of what you're bringing. And it's not easy. It takes time, but it's really good work when you're working on it. So I think just to answer your question, maybe more pointedly, is a lot of it comes down to how humans interact and how people understand each other's priorities and how you come to the conversation versus just showing up and throwing requirements at people.
1: So do you think it's a sense of shared outcomes and responsibility to to achieve those outcomes?
0: Yeah, and fundamentally, my own personal leadership philosophy is you align teams to a vision, to a mission. And when people feel strongly aligned to a mission, they tend to work together towards that mission. They tend to err on the side of trust and like good intent. And those things, which are deeply rooted in all of our relationships, are things that actually kind of carry the momentum forward when things are hard and when there is potential conflict. Because you have the mindset of, hey, this person's coming to the table because they have my interests in the front and I likewise have their interests in the front. And when we do that, like to me, that's like one of the prime components of a high performing team, right? Is when people come yeah.
1: together with aligned self interest. I don't want this conversation turned into a neutral admiration society, although it could. I remember my first day actually at VMware. And I was introduced to you and the then CIO Baskaya w- was walking me around and introducing me to people. And I think you were in a conference room and it's like, well, let me introduce you to the head of security for the company. And I walked into the room and there you were. And I think you were wearing a Star Wars T-shirt. Is that right? And I think I was wearing a <laughs> Star Wars T-shirt. I knew then the world was going to be good. I think that's... That be- <laughs> well...
0: I would like to correct you on that. And I'm sorry oh, okay. to break to kill the mythology oh, okay. that was being created over what the are years. What were you wearing? Definitely was wearing a T-shirt. I probably was not wearing a Star Wars T-shirt. Oh, well, in my mind, you were. <laughs> a Star Trek T-shirt, oh, by far the superior universe. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, oh, oh. oh, this conversation's going to really take a turn. Okay. All right. Moving swiftly on. So I know one thing that I think surprised people is you and I have presented in front of our collective teams and in front of other teams and other organizations. And I've talked about the importance of security and you've talked about the importance of experience. And I think that surprised people, but I also think there's an important message in there for listeners as well, which is that you and I have consistently said to compromise experience for security is really detrimental because what you are doing is creating an environment that encourages people to do the wrong thing rather than encouraging people to do the right thing. How would you say that and how would you build on that?
0: Yeah, it is a great point. It is also sort of a foundational element to to what I believe is like a really good security strategy. You're right, people go around bad experiences, My belief is functions like support functions in particular, the support component of some of our functions, because I do believe CIO is incredibly strategic. I think CSO is strategic as well and and so on. So I just don't think that the back office definition is correct, right? This is actually front and center for the success of the business. I think people think of us in that way. There is a magic combination of great security and a great experience. It is worth striving for. To me, it's like an invariant. You have to work towards a good security experience. And you have to be ready to make an, an earlier investment and then to hold that investment for a longer period of time, but you will see better returns over the life cycle of whatever you're developing. You know, one good example, like a concrete example of that would be, you know, together, we collectively came together and we realized we needed to change some core experiences. You know, they weren't just security experiences. They were core colleagues engaged with our technology. One of those was like how you got on to our wireless networks, if you remember. And so... We used that as an opportunity to come together collectively. And this is, I think, what was, for me, very remarkable and super welcome and and not unexpected, honestly, about our relationship a CIO and CSO, is that we both agreed on the experience part and we both agreed on the security part. And it was hard to tell who agreed on which more. And I thought that was was a really telling thing right there, right? And our team see that. And what we did was we refactored and we drove a zero-trust model very early. And the sort of the thinking around that where we moved to certificates, we moved to managed endpoints, but managed in a way that was not impacting boot times and other experiential things that people depend on in our laptop states. But we didn't make a big deal about it. Like my family owns restaurants, which is Possibly the worst investment you can make with your family. But I would just say, one of the things we learned there is like you don't do grand openings, you don't do big splashes because you set expectations unreasonably high and it's very hard to carry that forward. And the better way to to bring on new technology, new experiences is to make sure that they are rock solid. And then people will advocate for you over time. You just gotta kind of put your ego behind and not look for the immediate gratification of, hey, we did a great job, but knowing you did a good job and knowing you're more secure with a better experience kind of carries you through the period of time. And we started hearing within weeks from the most curmudgeon developers you can imagine saying like, I thank you. I can get onto the network anywhere and I don't have to keep putting my password in. We got rid of passwords and we enabled zero trust architecture. And that was really a two-pronged effort that was focusing on both security and experience and capabilities.
1: Touched on something important there and something I'm proud of we should be collectively proud of is that i think we've set a tone with our teams around how we work together but also how we expect them to work together and the truth is if it was left to you and i not an awful lot would get done we have incredible talent but what would you say about that leadership what do you think that other leaders need to engender in their organizations or bring from a leadership perspective especially as it relates to security especially working with different technology functions
0: It's a really interesting kind of leadership principle, I think. And for me, my basis is about so-called servant-based leadership, something I was introduced to very early in my career. I'm naturally wired to want to help when you run into like-minded folks who are not like, you're not thinking exactly the same way. There's like, there's lots of diversity in how things are, you're coming at problems and all that and different perspectives. But the fundamental thing we modeled, I think, and I think we should continue to model we have to pay attention to that. It's a relationship and all relationships need care and feeding. That we show people when there are decisions being made. We, for example, you know, my team knows that you can come in and drive a decision and a priority, and they don't have to come running to me and be worried about it. They know that you and I are connected as leaders, and then your voice is my voice in situations. And I think that's a very different mindset. I think a lot of that has to do with consciously pulling back on ego which leaders, you need ego to survive in some ways. From a leadership perspective, you have to deal with things and politics and drive and all that. But I also think can get in the way. So I think that's a behavioral component. And then the technology alignment happens because we do so much intermixing of the teams. Like the teams work together. My team members come to you. It's an open door policy. We consciously don't have silos in the organization from that yeah. perspective.
1: Interesting you say that actually. I'm just thinking about how I have been in organizations before where if someone from another team shows up, the dynamic changes. Not necessarily good or bad, it, it just changes. They're in the meeting, I'm actually happy to see them. It's like, oh great, how you doing, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. See, so it's not even, it just happens.
0: It may happen because I think there's a cautionary point here too, is that like for you and I, it's just how we're wired. But for many people, there is a natural and some level of appropriate concern about Will my project be impacted? Will I not be measured appropriately because I had to reprioritize based on some other group's priority? That's also a point where you you do have to be very deliberate about surfacing shared accountability goals, like you mentioned earlier. And that could happen. We could pull that down from like company objectives and then sort of show our alignment, which is what we typically do, I know. But that's also part of the narrative that's important to pay attention to that because it is people will have these concerns and they're valid concerns in many ways but they're also teachable moments for people to understand really how to come together more in that situation. I know we deal with that, too, from time to time where we do have some conflict
1: in our internal channels. As I think that through, I also think about managing up as well, because you and I both lead large teams and manage budgets on behalf of the company and responsibilities on behalf of the company. That also means bringing people along as well and bringing other leaders along. When you talk to your peers about securing investments around security and improving and hardening technology and capability, what sort of things do you hear and how does that differ from your experience at VMware?
0: It's a mixed bag. Overall, I'd say security budgets have been on the rise from an industry perspective. I think that data is believable for me from what I see. Where we invest can be different. There's a challenge here in the sense that Security investments are like preventative medicine They're about exercising every day and eating well and all that. Like those are the best kind of security investments. But we often find ourselves as an industry in like pain therapy mode where we want to pop a pill to, to feel better. And I think those two modes have to, they coexist as a practical matter. So what I see oftentimes is my peers will come in. I've had hate peers from time to time have told me they've, they've gone and they've really landed a super, super hard message with like the, the board or the audit committee. They're flagging a a problem that they see, but they don't get the results they want because what they don't realize is that level, they're flagging it. Boards aren't not management. And it's it's truly a management problem first, well before it becomes something that a board would want to pay attention to. And it shouldn't. Like the board should be appropriately judiciously involved to their interest and what the needs are for the company. And I think that's the miss. I think lots of times it's very, very hard to bring like a line management or a a service manager or GM. One of those folks along for the security investment story. And so a big part of that is like, did they take the time to build the relationships early? And so they're ready for these discussions. And that's something that's very hard to back into. You end up having to wait for a crisis to make big change happen, which I don't think is healthy for organizations. I know it's worked well for my career coming to VMware spending enough time to understand what's a good day, what's a bad day for people that would be stakeholders who would be impacted by the security function, giving your leaders and folks who come into your organization that same kind of permission, if it were, to go form those relationships, which may slow down immediate execution. Like, but these are long-term investments. When security is thought of this way, I think you get a better result.
1: I think one of the things that's obvious in this conversation to me, but I think maybe a surprise to others, is your use of the word empathy. And it's certainly one of the principles that I have and I try and lead by and, and work by. But I don't know how many people would normally talk about security and empathy in the same sentence.
0: Honestly, when I talk to the organization, I use that word very specifically. Like Lake Wobegon, all of my security <laughs> children are, are above average. <laughs> no, but I tell the team this because back office functions, air quoting there, or you know, support functions, IT functions, critical enabling functions like security and, and IT and tech and all that. Our remit is to serve the whole enterprise and the whole business, which means you have to have an understanding of how things work, not in just your function. Mm -hmm. And so a specific example would be I tell my team, hey, it's quarter close. You should not be surprised if you get calls or asks from folks in the field and folks on the sales teams who are trying to close a contract. This is how they put food on the table. You need to understand That they're not coming at it with a negative intent. They're trying to solve a problem that they are chartered to solve. Like, that's their job. And so you have to think about that. And you should be ready in that time frame. And you should prepare them to be as self-serving as possible and have the resources they need well ahead of time. And that's the kind of empathy outcome, I think, that really matters here. Is that when you take the time to understand someone else's position, you can help them and enable them to have a, a better outcome. And it could be anything from a security control environment to honestly like the closing a contract. Do those things all come under or are influenced by security teams?
1: I remember a case a year or two ago where we had a process for our support organizations needing VPNs to engage with certain customers yeah. and that, that process, and I'm going to get this a bit wrong, but I think the process used to take about three weeks and now it takes seconds or minutes yeah. and that includes the security controls and the checks as well. And that's a great example of having the empathy and time to engage and listen and understand, and then say, "Wow, we can transform what we're doing here. We can fundamentally change how we do this without diminishing and possibly even improving our security posture." And that's the sort of thinking and approach that I think is very powerful.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And it's up to leaders in companies to set that tone. And that this is back to your point about like how you like managing up, leading up you really do need to put the effort into building and understanding around the value of, of doing these things. And then that way you get the support for investments in the function. And I've got some strategies that work around that, that had some learnings on how you could do that. One of them, I kind of call my infomercial strategy, <laughs> which is not mine, obviously, but It's this theory that the more time you spend on a problem, the more invested you are in the problem and the more you want to (laughs) solve the problem. (laughs) One of the things we like to do is to make sure that we are inclusive, like we bring in those other perspectives, those other diverse thoughts into the conversation so we get a better understanding. And that's another way you can actually drive empathy. And honestly, you can build collaboration more effectively that way, too, when you
1: So empathy first, but the other thing that you're saying that definitely resonates with me and I connect with well is bringing the whole organization along. Because you can't, one of the things I've watched you do, I've admired, is how you have made security truly something everybody's mindful of. And it doesn't mean that everybody's doing it every day, but the the fact that people understand the importance of it, the fact that people understand that they have a role to play it really takes care and time and thought to to connect with people in a new way, because otherwise people are just like yeah 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 whatever. You know, it's a little bit like the stop sign. You might roll slow down, but I really feel like people understand they have a role to play, and it's a positive thing. It's not just a punitive thing. I think that's something that I've really admired.
0: I thank you for that. I feel you're probably giving me way too much credit simply because there are so many circumstances where we are reminded how important security is in our businesses, you know, how we conduct business and in in the industries in particular, right? We have such a reliance on on technology and security. Security is a big part of that. So, yeah, probably a little too much credit, but thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Take it. Well, yeah, I think I would just say also that there are teachable moments in security for organizations. One of the things I've learned is to, when the timing is there, when it's right, so there may be something happening in the industry where you know the company is reacting to, it's really good to enlist the full support of all the leadership in the company. And yeah. you don't be shy about setting the tone for helping the CEO set the tone for the company, for example, which, which I'm very fortunate that we have a CEO who is very supportive of that. That is also a way you can sort of manage the company's perception I'm definitely a glasses half full optimist after 25 plus years of doing this. I feel pretty good about having (laughs) that still as part of my makeup. But I would just say that there are moments where things are like really challenging. But those are the moments that really define the character of your organization. And so those are the moments where you need to spend a lot less time pointing at things and where things went wrong and spending time focusing on your energy together collectively on how you improve move through the crisis curve, and then and then take those lessons and then turn those into strategies for further success. And that's deliberate. That's important. That's a pretty well-known discipline around crisis management. But it's something that's easy to lose sight of in the moment. So there's some discipline required for that. I think one huge component of that, and I'll give probably not enough credit to give here, not possible to give too much credit for these folks, but that's where your program management teams and your project managers like really shine because they come forward... They're the glue that holds everything together and keeps all the things in moving on track. And so uh, my hat's off to those folks, yeah, especially absolutely. during a crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And without talking about anything that's possibly occurring right now, because <laughs> that, that's always sensitive. One of the things that you spoke about earlier is the importance of developing and cultivating relationships early, potentially before you have to rely on them. And I think that's one thing I've seen recently as we've been dealing with some security challenges that the whole planet is dealing with right now, is that those relationships are in place already. The the programs and structure is in place already. And it may be a different challenge and it could be a different risk or, or security vulnerability we have to deal with. But people know what to do. They know how to come together. They know how to work the issue. And I think that's incredibly powerful and it talks to that investment, that early investment.
0: Say it's not a secret, but but really, you know, security is really just about resiliency at the end of the day. It's about how resilient is your business to unexpected change. Security is one component, definitely a, a somewhat unique beast, deep and wide. So the risk potential is high for many things. Building a strong resilience muscle in a company is paramount activity. It should be something that's in the mindset of the company broadly. And there's many areas that can weigh in on that. But I think that's something that we did here early at VMware. And enterprise resiliency capability. Um, it's got multiple pillars in there from crisis management, communications, to business continuity planning, to disaster recovery, and emergency response for physical issues. But those things come together in concert with many teams working on them. But we practice that. And that practice is really what helps. And then you should never be shy about bringing those folks who are decision makers into those practice sessions early.
1: So here we are, beginning of a new year, and obviously we we did a lot of work on planning last year, and as the old Eisenhower quote goes, you know, planning is everything, the plan is nothing. What do you anticipate we will be working on and our teams will we be working on together this year? We have initiated some
0: big change in the company over the last five years, honestly, and we've been marching down a path towards a true zero trust architecture, which I feel we largely have in place. We pushed a stronger initiative starting last year around what we call Beyond Zero Trust, which is our internal project or program level names, around just continuing to improve our hygiene, recognizing that our responsibility for our customer success is incredibly high, and we need to continuously improve and to live up to that promise. And so some of the big areas I think we're going to continue to focus on is like deepening our already strong foundation around access management in the company, There's some technologies around that. I think we're going to continue to drive blending that into our R&D, you know, engineering portfolio more aggressively. I think there's things we're doing, we're learning as we're doing, like all companies dealing with like, hey, do you understand your assets? What are those assets? What is the status of those assets, ownership, all those things? Those are all kind of specifics that I know we're going to work on. But principally, I would say 2022 for us, which we've been in for a while because we're on a fiscal calendar. VMware transforming our portfolio to more SaaS delivery to our customers. We have an incredibly strong perpetual license model we've got with our customers that will be there for many, many, many years. But we also are recognizing that we need to deliver our capability to our customers in a way that they need to consume in today's reality. And that is about multi-cloud capability. And our internal transformation has to be to, to bring that together and to bring functions that normally might have been okay to sit a little siloed with how we've grown as a company, those models don't work in delivering in a SaaS world. So how we bring together development, how we bring together operations, how we bring together security, those functions need to be highly integrated and have seamless response patterns. I think that is the velocity of risk is greatly increased in SaaS delivery. And so as a company, we need to rotate. In security, we're doing the same thing. We've taken this to heart. We look at every component in security, in every every functional capability, and we ask ourselves the question like, can we drive this to an automated, scalable outcome? And it's not just about buying products from other companies, it's about integrating with good process, having the teams aligned, and ensuring that we're doing things on the timescales that SaaS operates on, which is the minutes and hours and not days and weeks. Yeah,
1: I think that moving the whole company towards a fundamentally more agile approach in everything we think about and everything we do is both a challenge and a huge opportunity. We're going to wrap in a second, but I'm going to ask you three quick personal questions. <laughs> okay, Here we go. Ready? Okay. Uh, I'm ready. Favorite book?
0: Dan Simmons, <laughs> Hyperion. Okay. Favorite motorcycle ride? Favorite motorcycle or ride? You choose. BMW R twelve fifty GS Adventure is my favorite motorcycle. My favorite ride has always got to be in the southwest of Utah, driving through Zion and Bryce
1: and, oh, wow. uh, and doing those rides. Yeah. We have to do that sometime. And the last one we're gonna go out on is on food, which is favorite pizza.
0: Hey, classic 92nd Neapolitan pizza. So Okay. All yeah, right. just like just a classic, simple. Straight out of my 900 degree oven.
1: (laughs) There you go. All right, Alex, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I thoroughly enjoy and appreciate working with you. And maybe we can ask some of the listeners to give us some suggestions on topics they'd like to hear us discuss. We can go a little deeper on some things. That would be great. And until then, thank you.
0: Yeah, Hey, it was my pleasure. I really appreciate being here. I love these conversations, man, anytime. All right, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit VMware.com slash CIO.